Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Where are all the miracles? Where are all the miracles? That is a question that was asked in the time of the judges. But if we're honest, that same question could be asked in 2022. Where are all the miracles? There was a season just before the judges and after some major prophets where the Bible says the word of God was precious. And you know that word precious, the way to think about it is, you know, in a drought, water is precious. It's so precious that we're told how many times to shower if it gets severe. We're told not to water our lawns. And you know the cheaters in your neighborhood because their lawn is green. It can't stay green without water. But water is precious in a drought. And there was a season that the word of God was precious, means it was rare. And I think it's fitting that we are going to dedicate some babies today because there was a mother who was barren. So how was she a mother when she was barren? While she was barren, she prayed. Her name was Hannah. And she said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And she prayed, and she had ultimately five sons, but the firstborn, his name was Samuel. And in a time when the word was precious, God spoke to a young man. They had priests all over the place, did not hear a word from God, but a child heard a word. And throughout his lifetime, the Bible says, God never let a word that came from his mouth fall to the ground. But when Samuel's time was up, the time of judges arose. And there's one that we're going to read about in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges who had become cynical because he had not seen a miracle. He had heard of one. And God has pressed on my heart a word that I want to deliver to you today. Where are all the miracles? Judges 6 and 13 reads, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, Judges 6.13, the first Lord is lowercase because he's speaking, an angel is communicating with him. Then he says, if the Lord is with us, that's all caps, Jehovah, Yahweh, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us 
into the hands of the Midianites. There's enough in this one verse for a whole message, but that is not what I'm instructed to do. But I want to point out a few things, just a few. First of all, you heard me say last week, deliverance is a two-way street. Deliverance is a two-way street. Please leave the text up. I want you to see something that Gideon discerned. He said, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? Where are all the miracles? And he said, our fathers, we heard about it. Our, our kinfolk, our fathers and our relatives, tell us about it. But where are they? And then he says something. He, he said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? That's an enduring miracle. Everyone, I'll talk about that in a minute, needs something in your life that is enduring. It's an anchor. You can always reach back to that and say, he did it before. He can do it again. But he says, but now the Lord has forsaken us. The Lord has forsaken us. This is where he's a little bit of a cynic. He's saying the reason this has happened is because the Lord has forsaken us. Hmm. I wonder how many times in my life and in your life when things don't seem to go as we think they should, that our conclusion is that God has forsaken us. The God who promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. You're not forsaken. I'm not forsaken. We'll never be forsaken because he'll never leave us nor will he forsaken us. But listen at the next part. Out of his cynicism, he still can discern something. He said he has forsaken us and delivered us. Delivered us. When I think of deliverance, I think of coming out of something. He talked about Egypt that was coming out. He delivered them out of Egypt. But now he delivered them into the hands of of the Midianites. Deliverance is a two-way street. Is there anybody who's with me? Deliverance is a two-way street. We don't, we don't think of it like that because we just want God to get us out. We just want him to get us out. Lord, get me out of here. And he does, but we have to shift that mindset because as long as I have that mindset and you have that mindset, our Proclivity is to use God rather than being used of God. God, we've used you long enough. We want you to use us now. Where are all, where are all the miracles? In the, in the, all the tribes of Israel, the most enduring miracle, not just in the days of judges, but till this day is what God did for them in the Red Sea. And every other thing builds on that. Here's my question. Do you have an enduring miracle in your life that you can, appoint, can point to? Yes, that's important. If you don't get one, you're going to get one because God is about to do something. You're going to have one. I, I thought about that question, and I want to share with you an enduring miracle in my life 
that I've been able to call upon more than once. Some time ago, I got a call from the hospital that my mother was in, and she had been having every six months, six, like almost exactly six months apart, having strokes. And from the first one, they said there was nothing they could do. Her brain was swollen and her brain was hemorrhaging. They showed me on the scan the dried up blood and they said there was nothing that they could do. And this time I get a call, I think this was the second one, and it had been happening already for six months, but God raised her up. I'll tell you about that another time. I need to stick to the message today. But they called me and they said, is this Bobby Oliver? Yes. My mother called me Bobby. She must have told them, my son Bobby is my care caregiver, my caretaker. So they called me and they said, if you are a good son, I promise you these were their words. If you are a good son, you will give us the word to take your mother off, li off life support. She said, you were the one to make that decision. And I'm a mama's boy. I was close to my mother. I just broke. I just broke down and I said, can you allow me one thing? Let me come to the hospital and then I will give you my decision. And they said, when are you gonna come? I said, I'm coming now. I got my wife and my kids together. David wasn't born yet. Denise and uh, Sherelle and Dion. Dion was about eight years old. We got in the car, we drove up to North Jersey, to Ridgewood Hospital, and I knew I was a wreck because my emotions had overtaken me. And my, my wife was talking to the kids and she has such a calm effect. She told them to talk to their grandmother when they got in the room. And so we let Sherelle and my wife go first, me and Dion went second. And when they came out, I have never before or since seen a confidence on my daughter Sherelle's face like I saw that day. And she said, Grandma's all right, Dad. I said, well, did she wake up? She said, nope. But I know this, she heard us. She's gonna come to my graduation, it's fine. And she sat down and just sat in her chair. And I'm thinking, she didn't wake up. Where's this confidence coming from? So I, I start doing the perp walk, the slow walk down the hall. And I have my little son with me, not little anymore, but he was little then. See, this is, a, this is an enduring miracle. He's walking with me and I said, when you get in the room, I want you to put your hand on grandma's forehead and just pray. I knew, Mom Barlow, that I wasn't in a position to release faith because I was emotionally distraught. I couldn't bear the thought at that time of losing my mother. And so with the confidence that I saw on my wife and the confidence that I saw on Sherelle, I was a little better than I was when I got the call. We get in the room 
all these tubes. She's still like comatose. I promise you in the presence of God, I'm telling you the truth. My son goes in, he puts his hand on her, he starts moving his little lips. I still don't know what he said. I didn't tell him what to say. I don't care what he said, it was effective. In that moment, she opened her eyes. And they didn't close again. She didn't do like this, they stayed open. I ran out in the hallway like the woman at the well. I said, come and see, she's awake. The nurse said, this is a miracle. That was on a Saturday. I came back to the, she was sitting up eating. There's no secret what God can do. It was God's idea that that happened. And God raised her up. And 10 years later, we're in a hospital in Newark, New Jersey. And my wife's mother this time has cancer. And they said, there's nothing else we can do. We, we're not going to treat her anymore. It doesn't make sense. Based on her age and where she is, there's nothing we can do. I'm in another room, and my wife is in with all these white coats all around her. And she comes to get me. And she says, Bobby, I need you to come in here now. And I knew she, was, she meant business. She said, these people are giving up on my mother. Would you come and tell them what happened when your mother was sick? Bobby, I need you to come in here and tell them. And so I went in there. This time I was calm. And I walked in because it was her mother. And I walked in and they were all standing around. And they were very smart. They were very credentialed. They had on all their lab coats and they were telling us why. We were irrational in our thinking, and I listened. And then I told them, just like the fathers of Gideon and those told them about the Red Sea, I started to tell. See, this is why you need an anchor for your soul. This is why you need an enduring miracle. I started to tell them. They told me that there was nothing they can do, that they gave up, and they allowed me to come to the hospital. And my mother lived for years after that. And I said, listen, I can't tell you based on your protocol what to do. It's okay, you don't have to treat her anymore. And they didn't. I said, we're good with that, but she's gonna live. I looked them right in the retina and told them, she is not going to die, she's gonna live. That place, we left that place, they didn't treat her. I thought about this because about a week ago, my, my wife said, you know, Bobby, if they would have treated my mother, she might have lived longer. And then she smiled. She said, they gave her a limited amount of time, but it wasn't until years later, some of you were at the funeral, it was years later that we sent her home and it was about two blocks from that hospital. If I would have thought about it, I would have went up to that floor and look for those white coats and say, you know, she had the sentence of death in her, but the God we serve is able. Where are all the miracles? God is still working. He hasn't left, he's still working. But Gideon said, I, haven't see, I have nothing to fall back on except what they said. What I'm seeing in my day 
is that God has delivered us into the hands of Midian. I want you to, to see something. Even when God corrects his children, and we're going to see why they were in this position, he doesn't put you in any hands. Midian came from the loins of Abraham. It was one of Abraham's sons from Keturah. The difference between Midian and Isaac, though, is Isaac was a son of promise. See, we hold on to the promise of God. I might have trouble from Midian, but I got a promise. You might be in, in a place where you feel in a stronghold with Midian, but you got a promise. Because the same one that produced Midian also produced Isaac. I want to say to somebody, hold on to the promise of God. It's going to be all right. Midian was the son of Abraham and Keturah. And when Moses came out of Egypt, God sent him to the backside of the mountain. And you know where he sent him? He sent him to Jethro. Jethro was a priest of Midian. Midian sent Moses up to the mountain. And up there, he met someone named Yahweh. The name Yahweh came out of Midian. Come on, somebody. Even those who God delivers us into, they're not strangers to God. Moses gets a wife. He gets a wife. You know where his wife was from? Midian. She was a Midianite. Come on, somebody. They couldn't do but so much because they belong to the same God. The same God. Even when it feels like we're in the hand of the enemy, it's God who's shaping that. The other thing is, it won't be long. And I'm going to show you this in the word. It won't be long before you're coming out. It won't be long before you're coming out. That's what the angel was trying to tell God. I know you're in caves. I know that you're in a place where you generally press wine and you're threshing wheat. You're out of order. You're out of order because you're scared. I'm coming to tell you that there's a promise. There's a promise. And I need you to be bold. Whatever it takes for me to put that faith in you, I'm going to do that because I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to pursue you until you begin to seek me. Where are all the miracles? Where are all the miracles? Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. We got a baby dedication, two of them to do. Let's go to Judges 6, 1 and 2. There's a little more light. The question that Gideon asked is where are all the miracles? And in his cynicism, he said, the Lord has forsaken us. No, no, he can't do that because he can't lie. His word is immutable. He promised never to forsake us. See, we have a word that Gideon didn't have. But deliverance, is it a one-way street or a two-way street? Gideon 6, 1 and 2. Then the children of Israel did evil. Did Gideon repent? Did you hear anything about repentance in the other verse? No, he said the Lord has forsaken us. 
There's a time as a church, because Israel represents the church, that we need to examine ourselves and say, why are we not experiencing a move of God like we read in the book of Acts? God is calling us to a place. He's calling us to an altar. To, not because he's mad at us, because he wants to bring us out. And he says, you've used me long enough. It's time for me to use you. If you would just come, I've got something for you. Come over here. Come up hither. I got something to say to you. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord, do you see this? What are the next two words? So the Lord delivered them. Your enemy can't overtake you. The situation that we're in might be one of deliverance. It's just the way we think about deliverance is a one-track mind, and it's selfish. It's about me. God, get me out. God is saying, no, you let me in. Right where you are. You let me in right where you are, and you're going to come out of there. Because I've given you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Here's the good news. He delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. It's only an appointed time. I want you to know whatever you're facing, it's not forever. God only, God appoints the time and then in the fullness of time, he sends you down the other street of deliverance. Sometimes we're going the wrong way because we think it's a one-way street. You can't go two ways on a one-way street, but God made it known in this sixth chapter, the first verse, why they were there, why he delivered them into the hand of Midian, and the fact that it's only for an appointed time. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Your God is with you, and he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that's working in us. You shouldn't ask where all the miracles are if you know the power is working in you. Come on, somebody encourage somebody on your road saying the power is working in us. It's working in us. You're looking for it in somebody else. It's working in us. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. I want to say one thing, and we're going to keep it moving. Did you know that there are times where the people of God it's in the text. It's not me. It said they made for themselves. And the last thing they made for themselves was a stronghold. Some of the strongholds that we experience, come on, we made them for ourselves. And like Gideon, we blame God. God is saying, come on, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I've got greater for you, but it's hard. When I make my own stronghold, 
it's hard for me to destroy it because I can justify anything in my mind. David understood this when he said, if I make my bed in hell, you're with me. But he's, why would you make your bed there? Why would you do it? David understands what it means to be human. But God's going to take us to a place. See, humans live on a plane that's called natural. Somebody say natural. But in God, we move to a plane that is super natural. He said, it's time to move from the natural to the super natural. You can live in a world that's natural, but you can be super natural. There's somebody, Janine, who needs to know they got superpowers. The superpowers are not just for the Marvel comics. It's for the people of God. There's something in you that is super and it's not natural. It's supernatural. Some folk don't understand it. They don't receive it because they only know what is natural. But God today wants to introduce you to something that you already know intellectually, but he wants you to walk in the supernatural. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to change you till I come, but even in the natural, I can make you super, supernatural. I'm not going to take away what's natural to you, but I'm going to make it super. I'm going to add something to your natural so that it'll be super, super natural. It's, this thing is not mystical. You don't have to be special, but he's going to make you super, super natural. And if you're willing to receive it, it's natural. It's natural for us to walk in the spirit. It's natural for us to lay hands and people get healed. It's natural for us to pray and God responds because we're on a different plane. Super natural. And what is, whatever is nat natural is a part of the root word is nature. It's in the nature of the believer to move in the super natural. It's in your nature. Do you know your nature? Do you know your nature? Do you know? Some of us don't even know what we're made of. We don't even know what we're made of. That's what we need to change is our mind. That's why it's important to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In the spirit of your mind. See, the world has books full of self help because they want to keep our minds in a stronghold and as we read those books we make strongholds for ourselves but God says I want to do something for you that is super it's out of this world and it'll be natural it'll be natural it's a part of your nature the nature that you had when you that you got when you received me because if any man, if any woman, if any boy, if any girl be in Christ, they're a new creation. So the plane that you're on is different. Super natural. Super 
natural. Let me walk it out. Let me walk it out. I want to tell, I want to give you two principles of miracles because God, as we go into this consecration, God is going to break out. He's going to break out. And what he does is going to be natural. It's going to be natural. You don't have to try. Don't manufacture anything. Just be willing and obedient. And he's going to add super to your natural. Super to your natural. Here's the first principle. It's found in Mark 9 and 38. The one thing Gideon had was he was discerning. He knew what God was doing, but he was also cynical. So rather than having faith, he was a bit of a cynic, and it took some convincing for God to get him to do what he ultimately did, which was a great miracle. They were outnumbered by many. The Midianites outnumbered them by many. And in his own mind, he said, I need thousands. And he brought before God 32,000. God said, you got too many. See, that's what happens when our natural gets supercharged. We, God talks to Gideon, who was initially a cynic, and he said, okay, here's what you do, Gideon. You talk to the people. You have them come to you, and you ask, is anyone fearful? He said, send all the fearful home. 10,000 brothers said, oh, fearful? Now, I didn't want to do this in the first place. You know the Midianites? I haven't eaten in a while. I can't even feed my family. There's some, the, the Midianites, there's some bad people, and they're mean. 10,000 went home. Why are you scared? You're going back to the stronghold. Can it get any worse? You're going to starve to death. If you, there are some people who would rather starve to death than believe God. And then Gideon said, okay, we're down to 22,000. Now what should we do? God said, no, it's still too many. He said, because if this happens, Gideon, for you, I know your nature. You won't think it's because you're a great captain and you want the glory. What happened in that hospital room with my mother was so that God would know, Bobby, you know that had nothing to do with you. You were a wreck. But I raised, I raised your mother up so that you would learn something to give me the glory. And I began to give God thanks because that had nothing to do with me. God wants us to understand that the miracles are his. And the one thing Gideon understood when he asked the question, he said, where are all his miracles? They're his miracles. All I have to do is walk in the supernatural and he will do it. He said, it's still too many. I want you to go down by the riverside. Somebody said, go down by the riverside. And I want you to tell everybody to take a drink. And the ones who are too cute and pristine, send them home. They don't, they're not the right ones to do what I'm about to ask you to do. He said, but everyone who laps like a dog, those are the ones I got. That's the ones I called. We're living in a time where it's not about how cute we look, how proper we speak in church speak. 
It's about the evidence that God is in you. That's what causes the world to fall in their faith. They see that's God. That's God. That's what I want. They don't want something that's inauthentic. They want to see God. And God is saying, I'm going to show up. I'm going to prepare people. He said that 300, now you do what I say with those 300. Now we talk about an enduring miracle. In the book of Judges, the first time, there's the use of what we know in modern day as a Molotov cocktail. God gave it to Gideon. Do you know in the war in Ukraine, the first weapons? Molotov cocktail. Because President Zelensky is a son of Abraham. I'm telling you, there are things that God can do even when we think he's not working that can endure. Even when I don't see him, he's working. He's working. So here, Mark 9, 38 and 40, it says, Now Jesus answered him, saying, now John, now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. What John is saying, they don't go to our church. They're not with you. This is called sectarianism, which today we call denominationalism. And there's some people like, I don't want to say the, God won't suffer me to say the denomination because this is recorded, and it would look like schism. But you know, there's some people you're like, they don't operate in the spirit. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Look at what Jesus says. Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Church folk will shut you down because of the misconception, Reverend Drew, that somebody is following us. They're following him. They're not doing it in your name, John. They're, I'm looking at you, John. I ain't talking about you, though. I'm talking about the John in the scripture. <laughs> They're doing it in the name of Jesus. Sometimes, even as people who are close to him, we can lose our focus. Just a slight little tilt, and it causes people to go astray. John is trying to set, shut something down that Jesus gives a response to. I want you to hear this. Jesus says, but Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who works a what? A miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. He might not be with us, but he's on our side because he understands. Now, here's what I want you to see. I'm not going to stay too long here, but here's what I want you to see. They weren't with them. They weren't in fellowship. They probably didn't know Jesus personally, but they knew his name. And just the release of his name caused demons to scatter. There's some folk that are not in church, but they know his name. They know his name, and they see it's getting results. They need to be discipled, but they know there's something that happens when I call on that name. Jesus said, don't forbid him, 
Because when they see the power that's in their name, they can't speak evil of it. And if they're, they will not be against us, they'll be on our side. Because there's more people. What if more people in Philadelphia lift up the name of Jesus? I don't care where they come from. I don't care where they come from. Let the prostitutes say Jesus. Let the drug dealers say Jesus. Let the murderers say Jesus. Because they can't say Jesus and keep on murdering. You want results? Do everything in word and deed. I see you, Pastor Del Zora. In the name of Jesus, demons scatter. It's scatter. No time to call mama or daddy. Call on Jesus and watch what happens. So the first principle of miracles, I can say it in a word, Jesus. Jesus. You answered me when I asked you the question. What's the first miracle? What is the first principle of a miracle? Jesus. He's the first. He's the last. Jesus. I wish somebody would call his name. Just say Jesus. Something happens when you call his name. Jesus. Even when you're sitting in a comfortable pew, something happens. Jesus. Jesus. He makes everything better. Anything he touches is better. Dead things, when he touches them, they have to come to life. When he touches a leper, which is not lawful to touch, the leper is cleansed. Jesus, Jesus. I wish I was in the right church where people knew the power of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Yes. Nobody can call his name and speak evil of him. Jesus. 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 Jesus, Jesus. It's not going to be much longer, but Jesus, Jesus. I know somebody in the hospital room right now. I won't say their name because I don't. Ha I want to honor the family, but this I know. Out of there confusion. They might not know you when they see your face, but the doctors were confused. They said, he just keeps saying Jesus. Why does he keep saying Jesus? And the family said, no, that's all right. Let him alone. Let me tell you something about our background. There is something about Jesus. He'll never leave you. And when you are in trouble that's so deep, you know you can't get out, Jesus. Laying on your back, Jesus. 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 He'll be with you in trouble, Jesus. Jesus. When my mind is foggy, 
Jesus. When I don't have strength to walk, Jesus. When I can't talk like I used to talk, Jesus. 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 When I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. I was sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me and now safe am I. What I want the world to know is love lifted me. His name is Jesus. Jesus. He can pick you up. He can turn you around. He can place your feet on a solid ground. Jesus. 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 If you don't hear anything else, hear Jesus. His name is the same early in the morning, in the noonday, in the midnight hour. Jesus, because he's always working. He's always working. He never stops working. It's good to know he neither slumbers nor sleep. Jesus. Jesus. Let's get to one, another principle, and then we're going to get to the meat, and we're going to land this plane. The next principle is found in Mark. The reason I'm showing you the two principles of miracles in Mark is because Mark is the smallest of all the Gospels. It has the fewest words, but the most miracles. If you want to learn about miracles, if you want to do a study on miracles, go to Mark. It says nine, it's in Mark 9, verses 38 and 48. It reads this. Now Jesus answered him saying, now John, now I already read that one. Because I said Jesus again. See, it reminded me. It's like, no, no. Never replace him with anyone with anyone. Mark 6, 3 through 5. And this one I'm going to read from the NIV because it makes it plain. Mark 6, 3 through 5. Final principle I want to leave with you. It reads, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, or Jude, that's Jude, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense of him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And he could not do 
Come on, somebody. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with you. Where are all the miracles? There's a lack of honor. Not only did they not honor his presence, they were offended in him. And, and, the, and for some reason, God has allowed offense to come. But he's come to purge it. He's come to purge it out. He's come to purge it. And it says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do many miracles there, any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I want you to notice, leave that text up. In the economy of heaven, laying hands on sick people, that's small. They said he couldn't do any miracles except you can at least be the exception. If you're not ready for the supernatural, can you at least do the exception? Lay hands on a few sick folk. You ought to lay hands on a few sick folk. Even if they don't honor you, even if they're offended by your presence, you can still lay hands, Elder Ardea, deal on a few sick folk. Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick folk. You want to leave service today and lay hands on a few sick folk. At least. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they think of you. In order to do miracles, there are other things that are necessary. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I wanted you to see that principle. I wanted you to see that principle. When the question comes, where are all the miracles? And God made it clear to me that in the church, when miracles happen in the church, people chase after the wrong thing. And the vessels that I use get puffed up. So I had to withdraw my hands from there and reposition the church. And the miracles are gonna happen outside of the walls. And then the people are gonna come in and tell of his goodness. God doesn't want any of us to be far from him. And if something will make you haughty, make you puffed up, make you proud, I've seen people on social media boasting about the dead that they've raised and mocking other people who haven't done it. I say, you don't know, do you know that you're at risk of being a goat and not a sheep? Do you know when Jesus judges the nations, he put the goat on his left hand and the sheep on his right, and the goats tell them what they did. Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. He said, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. So it's about intimacy, it's not about the works. Remember when the 72 who had no experience came back to Jesus excited and said, the demons trembled in our name. The first thing he told them, sis, was, don't rejoice in that, that the demons tremble. He said, I saw Satan fall as lightning. You ain't telling me nothing. I saw the prince of Beelzebub fall as lightning. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. See, what we do, the work that we do is eternal. People get caught up 
in things, well-meaning people who get drawn away from the true and living God. Let that never be named among us. So now let's, let's, let's move on. You got the two principles? Okay, now let us look at Luke. It's only two verses. Luke chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And then we only have one more after that. God willing, the next 10 minutes we'll be dedicating babies. God willing. If he's not, don't blame me. Here's what it reads. Luke 7, 13 and 14. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion. Those of you who are taking notes, miracle of compassion. He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. He entered a town called Nain, and there was a widow, and he understood that if she's a widow, her husband is gone. And this is her only son, who's now dead. Jesus was moved with compassion, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. He just touched the coffin. Then I tell you anything he touches, dead things, have to, will live. And those who carried him stood still. Just Jesus touching the coffin, the pallbearer said, it was a big crowd out there. But there was one in the crowd who could make a difference. Jesus touched the coffin and the pallbearer stood still. Did Jesus touch the young man? He released the word. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. For he presented him to his mother, a miracle of compassion. I want you to see how powerful our Lord is, the one who does the work. He touched the coffin. He didn't lay hands on the young man. And he spoke a word. Because of his compassion, he said, arise. Young man, so you know he was young, right? Young man, arise. This premature death is not going to stand. Arise. And he presented him to his mother. If you read on, the people were excited. But they didn't know really who he was. They said, a great prophet, a great prophet has risen among us. That's the reason a miracle alone isn't enough. People need to be discipled so they know who he is. See, they saw what he did, but they didn't know who he was. And anybody who doesn't know him is at risk of being on the left hand. I don't know about you, just as Jesus was on the right hand of God, that's where I wanna be. I wanna be his right hand man. Do you wanna be on the right hand? Y'all, I, I don't know. Yeah, let, let me move on. I don't, I don't want no ambidextrous people, even-handed. No, no, we want to be on the right hand of God. Yes, right hand. All right, here's, where, here's our closing text. It's found in 1 Kings 17, beginning at verse 7. It's another widow 
another widow, the widow at Zarephath. And there are two things I want you to know about this miracle. For those who are taking notes, I want you to write this down so I can keep going. Wow, this is a two-towel day. So you can keep going. You ready for the note takers? A miracle to prove that God is in you. And the second is a miracle of necessity. Miracle of necessity. You got those two? All right, I wanted that up front so we can keep moving. Miracle of necessity. The first one is a miracle to prove that God is in you. And the last one is a miracle of necessity. 1 Kings 17 and 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Spirit rained down because there's no, rain, no spiritual rain in Philadelphia. Spirit rained down. Go to the next verse, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, see, God speaks in a drought. He knows when his children are in a dry place. He said, I know it hasn't rained, but I'm going to send you a word. Because whoever hungers and thirsts after him will be filled. Verse 9 reads, arise. Somebody say arise. First, one of the steps in working miracles is to arise. You got to obey the voice of God. He said arise. Next word is what? Somebody say those two words. Come on, say it again. I like that. Somebody said it with attitude. And he'll tell you exactly where to go. Don't just go anywhere. He said, my people have wandered long enough. You were in the wilderness 40 years. It should have took you much less than This time, I'm going to be specific. Arise, go to Zarephath. Zarephath which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. See, he'd never been there, but he says, see, I can see things in places I've never been. Let me pause just for a minute. Don't change this. Bishop said, we can't visit Pastor Hyacinth. But he never said there can't be a visitation. See, I can go places where I'm not, I haven't been physically. Paul wrote an epistle to Rome. He had never been there, but he was able to encourage them. All we have to do is pray, and there'll be a visitation in that room. There'll be a visitation in that room. We can practice the ministry of presence. Not my presence, not your presence, but the presence of God. You might not be able to visit but you can cause a visitation. You see God instructing him to see a place and a person he never met. This is a stranger. Can you see that? Can you see it? There shall be a visitation. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there was more than one widow in Zarephath? Jesus even talks about it. He said there were many, but only one received this. 
if, if God has someone appointed and there's a miracle for them, if you show up, just the ministry of presence in obedience to them, they may not know you, you may not know them, but whatever God has for them, it's going to come to pass. He said, I want you to go there. He said, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. You need to go there because the brook has dried up. The provision that was here, it doesn't make sense for me to send the raven with bread and with meat because if you don't have water, you're not going to survive. The brook dried up. Let's go to verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. God said, go. He said, arise and go. He arose and went. God said, arise and go. He arose and went. And when he came to the gate of the city, didn't even get all the way in the city. There are 12 gates in the city of Philadelphia. If you just get to the gate, God will show you. Indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. He said, this is the one. This is the one. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. I don't want you to miss this. Uh, uh, can you tolerate me just for a few more minutes? Just a few more minutes. Now, think about the time and place. He's in a desert. There is no water. His source of water had dried up. God said, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to sustain you, to take care of you, to provide for you over there. He gets there, and he sees the widow. And the first thing he asks for is a drink of water. Why? Because he's thirsty. He's parched. He's been in the desert. It wasn't about water, right? It's about provision. But he asked for the water, and he was testing her faith. And you know what she did? Go to the next verse. And as she was going to get it, didn't even get the water yet, as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. What he's trying to see, is this the widow who's going to provide for me? If it's, for, come on, sometimes you got to make sure you're in the right place. Because there were more than one widow. He like, this looks like the one. She's, she met me at the gate. But first, let me see if she has a heart to meet my need. My lips are parched. Give me some water. While she's going, he said, get me a morsel of bread. And then what does she say? So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful full of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks. That's what she was doing at the gate. That I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Next verse. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake first. Like, don't give me a slice of yours. 
See, he's still testing. I want you to make me one, then make one for your, your son. Make me one first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. There's a purpose in this. We have to follow the direction of God. Because if you do that, that flower is not going to run out. That oil is not going to run dry. Let's go to the next verse. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. She doesn't know him. He doesn't know her. They never laid eyes. But now he got something that she can recognize a word from the Lord. He said the bin of flour shall not be used up. Elijah hadn't seen it. He don't know the size of it. It could be the size of a thimble. He said, that don't matter. The God who sent me here is able to... He said, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. I want you to notice God didn't change the drought but he changed their condition in the midst of a drought. God might not change the drought in my life but he'll change the conditions so that there's provision for you and for me right in the middle of the drought. God is about to shift our prayers shift our mindset so that we know what he's able to do and the circumstances don't have to change for God to work. The only thing that needs to change is my mind and my heart so that he can work. So that he can work. That's verse 14. Two more. Let's go to verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. See, Jesus didn't receive honor. He couldn't do any miracles. This widow who didn't know Elijah honored him and the miracle happened. She did according to what the man of God said and it happened. And she and her household ate for how long? Didn't she say, wasn't her testimony, I'm about to eat this and die. God said, no, 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 you're not gonna die. I know you only have a little, but I'm gonna multiply what you have. He didn't send her to Acme. He didn't send her to Giant. He took what she had. God is saying to somebody, I know you have a little in your eyes, but it's not gonna run out. I can multiply what you have. Last verse. No, 15, verse 16. The, fl the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, Whose word was it? It was his word, but it was spoken by Elijah, which he spoke by Elijah. So you see the necessity in this? The widow needed more flour and more oil to produce and to live. The prophet needed water and bread. God met both of their needs. You cannot obey God and not have your needs met. But there are miracles of necessity. There was provision all around. A, a couple, just a few more things. That brook is called the Brook Sharif. It had no inlet. 
It had no inlet. The water had an outlet which went into the River Jordan. So there was nothing that could come in. So once it dried up, the only way it could be replenished was heaven had to rain water down. Don't miss this. God said to tell somebody, I don't know who, he didn't give me names, but he said, you make sure you tell my people this. Sometimes in ministry, we're constantly putting out and we're dried up and there's no inlet. So you need the spirit of God to rain down, to replenish you. He said, you're too busy. You, that's why Jesus went, a, went apart by himself and prayed. God sent the prophet away when the brook dried up. He said, because the only way water's going to come is when I open up the heavens. And he said, I'm not going to open the heavens yet because Ahab, Ray, Ahab and his wife Jezebel have to know that I mean business. It's not going to rain for a while, but don't worry about that. I've provided for you. You will rise and go. You will rise and go. Don't fear the drought. Tell somebody it's going to rain. It's going to rain. That's why we sing spirit rain down. There may not be an inlet, but it's going to rain. And this same prophet, before it rained, he said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. God, let us hear the sound. Before it rains, may your people hear the sound. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. This last one, 1 Kings 17 and 24. 1 Kings 17 and 24. After what the man of God said happened, here's what she said. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I heard what you said and I did what you said, but when there is a demonstration, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. See, there are a lot of people like Gideon who are cynical of the church. They're not authentic. They're, they look down their nose at you. They even mock the things of God. But God said, the day is coming, and it's coming soon, that people will know that I'm in you, and that the word that is in your mouth is from me and it's truth, because he gonna back it up. She knew, she knew by that evidence that oil didn't run out, that flour didn't run out. She knew she didn't have enough, but not until the sound of an abundance of rain. And when it rained, it poured. But while it was still dry, other people around her are starving. People are literally eating their children. They're selling bird dung for money. People just wanted to survive. The, what the Bible is telling us is even in the most desperate times, God still proves himself. Where are all the miracles? They're in you. Where are all the miracles? They're in me. This woman who had never 
met Elijah when she saw him, and we didn't read that verse. She said to him, with him, never met him. There are some people that haven't even come in your life yet. But when you show up in a something in you that agrees with my spirit, where are all the men? all the miracles what I ask you to do please do quickly because we need to come to a close if you are sincerely ready if you are sincerely ready to put some super on your natural I want you to come quickly to the altar come quickly this is not going to take long some super to your natural and here's what I want you to do because it's natural it's not about you it's about him all you have to do is arise and go when he says arise and go Father I thank you for these your precious people we pray God that the many questions that are surrounding the body of Christ where are all the miracles? They're standing before you now, the vessels. I pray that these would be vessels of honor and that they would be filled with such heavenly treasures. Some are already filled. You know that. You know who they are. But I pray, God, that in obedience, they would arise and go and that you would do what only you can do. And let there be a testimony like the widow of Zarephath that people will know that God is in them because of the evidence that the word that is in their mouth is true. Increase their discernment as they obey your voice. Lead them in the way they should go and let the supernatural break out. We're not talking about mysticism. We're not talking about witchcraft. We're not talking about magic. We're not talking about human engineering. We're talking about that which has been added to our nature that is heavenly. I release them now in the power of God and even in the presence of those who don't honor them who are offended by you and therefore offended by them because you made it clear if the world is offended by you they'll be offended by us even when there's offense thank you for allowing them to lay hand on a few sick folk because they will know that you are real. Bless them now, empower them now, and make them a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.